I want to welcome you. My name's Jose, and I have the privilege of serving as lead pastor. I hope that you are welcomed into a safe place where you can just be wherever you are. You don't need to add on any pressure, whether you are following Jesus for a while or even examining what that will look like. I hope that you encounter God this morning. We are an imperfect people called Cypress Creek Church that are looking at our perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, as we do this thing called life together. One of the things that I want to let you know, did you see that things are a little brighter in here? If you're in person, you probably can't tell online. But we're doing a little bit of refreshing. So the white, the walls are white, the whites are walls, and we're going to put a floor on the carpet or carpet on the floor over there. We got some water um, during the winter storm deal, and so we're going to refresh the carpet in time for Easter and after focus. You see what we did there? <laughs> After focus, you'll see some paint stains on the ground. So now's the time to spill your coffee, you know, uh, dirty uh, shoes, better, no better carpet than here. Uh, one of the things that we did 20 years ago, I wasn't around for this. I was born, but I wasn't around. I was in here. Uh, 20 years ago, we, uh, the church wrote scriptures on the slab, and then they put the carpet over those scriptures. And so we'll have an opportunity to continue that tradition next Sunday. So we'll peel some of the carpet out and we'll have Sharpies. And if you want to put a scripture that's on your heart, maybe something that this church has uh, represented or something that God has used this church for or whatever, you can just feel free to Sharpie that on the ground before we put the new carpet up. Just thought it'd be kind of cool for us to be a part of the little remodel. We've been talking about surveying, re rebuilding, and, and demoing some things as we've looked at Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, starting in Matthew chapter 5, going to 6 and 7. We've called this series Kingdom Manifesto, and y'all, we are on the second chapter. We're gonna start chapter six today. We'll look at 23 verses. Total-wise, though, there's 112 verses that make up the Sermon on the Mount, three chapters, over 2,000 words of Jesus teaching us how to build our lives his way. It's summed up in Matthew 7, 24, at the end of Jesus' sermon. He says that everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so when the wind, when the floods of life rise, we will stand firm. We will stand strong because our foundation is in Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying, listen to my words, also put them into practice. We looked at three, uh, two things so far. We're going to look at a third thing. So I'm going to do a little bit of recap, and then we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 6. Jesus has flipped everything upside down. So the beginning of the sermon starts with Jesus saying, blessed are not the privileged, blessed are not the powerful. That's what our world says blessing is. Jesus, though, says blessed are the poor, blessed are the persecuted, blessed are are the meek. So he flips this definition of blessing upside down. In the last few weeks, we've looked at six areas, anger, lust, divorce, the integrity of our word, retaliation, and revenge, and how Jesus is calling us to live from the inside out. So we have this chart, graphs, whatever it's called, a heart is in the middle. God is most concerned with what is in our heart. And once we invite God into our heart and he starts transforming our hearts, then that will affect the way we think, that will affect our body, our life, and that will ultimately affect our relationships 
and beyond. And so Jesus is going to the core of these issues, these six issues that deal with our horizontal relationships with one another. Today, we're gonna look up. We're gonna go vertical and look at three areas, three disciplines that strengthen our relationship with God. Jesus is clear in verse one. He gives us this new thesis statement for this section of chapter six. Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to focus in on the motive of what you do. I want to ask you a question. Have you ever done something and then someone else get the credit for that, like a group project in school, students, or a group project in work, and somebody else gets the raise, or somebody else gets the promotion, and you're just left there being like, you serious? Did that just happen? Anybody? Has that ever happened to you? Anybody deal with the unfair things of life? It happens down here. Jesus is saying that, and so he is saying, hey, that's okay, because in that moment, I don't know about you, but I have felt unseen. And what God is speaking to us is that in those seasons, he sees you in me. And so what he's asking us to prioritize is our secret place with God. These three areas, we're going to look at giving, we're going to look at praying, and we're going to look at fasting, all strengthen our relationship with God and establishes this secret place that we have with God. And we're going to look at how this secret place is not just a physical location like a closet or on top of Mount Baldy or in your car, but it's a state of mind welcoming God into our hearts, whatever the condition is, because here's the not so good news. We all have secret things inside of our hearts and he knows them all. <laughs> so we can't hide from God. He knows what's hidden in our hearts. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, Paul writes, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. And then Jesus says in Luke 12, 3, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. Who else is trembling right now? He knows it all. In the mystery of God, he said he still wants it all. He wants those things that are not good inside of us because when we give those things to God, he transforms them, he renews them, and more importantly, he speaks his value into our lives. It says, that that's what Psalm 27, five talks about when it says, for in the day of trouble, so when we are not going through good times, God, he will conceal me in his tabernacle, in his presence, in the secret place of his tent. He will hide me, he will lift me up on a rock. There is no safer place than being in the presence of our Creator and our Father in heaven. That is what this secret place is about. So before we look at these three things, I want to talk about this horizontal relationship that we have with others, especially in the realm of 
Social media, a lot of us have social media. Maybe some of us don't. Consider yourself blessed and highly favored if you are not on the social media, on the interwebs. On social media, y'all, we spend a lot of time scrolling and looking at other people's lives, comparing ourselves to them, and we also, when we post and engage, we are looking for other people's approval to see, where, to, to, and that ends up defining our value. And, and it's not a totally bad thing, social media isn't. We have an awesome social media account for our church. Check it out, follow Cybersquare Church on Instagram, Facebook. We're not really on Twitter. We're definitely not on TikTok, but maybe one day. Anybody wanna run the church's TikTok? Come see me after me. You're gonna have to have really good and convincing contents. But anyway, so, and if you don't know what TikTok is, consider yourself blessed and highly favored. Don't even worry about it. Don't go there. So I don't know if you know, but I did some research for this message. Americans spend, on average, in the year 2020, two hours and three minutes. That's exact. Two hours and three minutes on social media. That's a lot of scrolling. That's a lot of, you know, this, or if you still have a mouse, one of these scrollings. 20, uh, 38 minutes on Facebook. Now, if you're 35 and up, you're most likely to use Facebook. I'm not gonna ask for a raise of hands to see if that holds true here in our uh, wonderful congregation. 27 minutes on Instagram on average. That's for those that are about 18 to 35, not exclusive, but again, these are just, I didn't make these up. And then if you're younger, so if you're in the Gen Z generation, then you are on TikTok for more than Others are on Facebook and Instagram. 46 minutes on TikTok. Now, when I, as a student pastor, I'll talk to students, and now when I talk to folks about our secret place, our time spent with the Lord, the number one thing I get and the number one excuse that I normally give when I'm held accountable is, I'm too busy. Now, if we're spending two hours on social media, we're not that busy. And then some of us are saying, well, I'm not on social media, I'm working. Well, here's what I want to get to this morning because I feel like this is what God is speaking to us. When we spend all of the time, all of that time, you know, in the workplace, we're doing so in order to gain something in return, some sort of value, some sort of significance. And when we spend all that time looking at our horizontal relationships, where we measure up in the social media world, scrolling, we could instead be spending some of that time, if not all of it, with the Lord in realizing how much he knows us, loves us, and cares for us, how valuable we are in him, and how amazingly creative he was when he made us, some more than others, I know, but he's so awesome in the way that he made us, and we can get lost in the way of the world as we look and compare to other people and allow them to define our value. And so in verse one of chapter six, Jesus is talking about, uh, I tell you, uh, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Why? Because we will receive our reward. So let's look at these three different areas, three disciplines that, that will help us establish that secret place and grow our relationship with the Lord. The first is giving. Everyone say giving. 
Now tell me, who's good at the tithe and the offering? I'm just kidding, don't, 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 don't tell me, don't tell me. We're gonna talk about giving, we're gonna talk about praying, we're gonna talk about fasting because these are three really important uh, parts of Jewish culture back then. So Jesus was speaking to a Jewish norm. I would say that giving is probably our most common in our culture. Praying, yeah, maybe second place, and fasting is a long last place. I mean, by a long mile. I can't, I'm excited to talk about, about fasting. But first, let's talk about giving. Verse two of chapter six. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Anytime in the Bible when we read it and it, and it emphasizes some things or repeats some things, we got to pay attention. And so I've uh, bolded the areas that we'll see repeated and highlighted the areas that we'll repeat through these three things. So to be honored by others is the motive of these hypocrites. <laughs> we don't want to be hypocrites, but we sometimes are when we want others to see what we do versus when our giving is in secret and we allow God to reward us because he sees it all. And so we have a hypocritical example in all of these three uh, scenes. We have the reward. They've received the reward in full. And then we have God's way. No, do it in the secret place. And then we get our reward. It's not defined by anything on this earth, but by our Father who is in heaven. So it's popular now to give. In fact, corporations know that giving promotes profit. And so now it's important to give. You show off how much you're giving and then people like generosity and so they buy your product. This is not what Jesus is calling us to do. He's saying, don't let your right hand know or left hand know what your right hand is doing. So as soon as you do it, forget about it. It's done. Don't tie yourself to that act of generosity. And so I want to talk about three ways that we can practice giving. Here's the first one, regularly. And so we do that when we give our tithes. We, we, it's a normal part of our life uh, when we establish like a direct deposit. We don't even see it. It's that regular. We're like, we just, it just goes away. It's, it's something that's regular. The second is spontaneously. We give spontaneously. So I'll tell you a need right now. Focus is coming up. We need students that are sponsored. If you have it in your heart to give spontaneously, sponsor a student to go to Focus this week and experience the love of Christ, maybe for the first time, but hopefully in a, in a real and authentic way as they give their lives to Christ and continue on. And then the third is generously. I'll never forget, I was eating a long time ago with an overseer of this church at the Wimberley Cafe, and he gave the most outrageous tip. And I didn't mean to be cynical, but I ended up being cynical. I was like, look, she was good, but she wasn't that good. Why did you give? I mean, it was outrageous. And he said, he's been so generous for me, that I've learned to be hilariously generous towards others. And he taught me a valuable lesson that day. It's not ours to begin with. Our money is. Donald Whitney wrote a great book on spiritual disciplines. And uh, he called, the book is called 
spiritual disciplines. And he says this about giving. God owns everything, including everything you possess, because he created everything. This means we are managers, stewards of the things God has given us. So in this church, we don't pass the buckets. We don't pass the buckets because we want giving to be between you and the Lord. You can give online, you can drop a check in the back, whatever, but we want giving to be between you and the Lord. So let's give regularly, let's give spontaneously, and let's give generously. Second one is prayer. Verse five, and when you pray, Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Do you see the repetition there? Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, you know where the Christmas tree is here in Wimberley at Ace during Christmas time? If one of you went out there with hands raised and just started praying, I just don't think that you would get a reward. You know, like this to me is like, what reward do you actually get when you pray in public? And so there's a little bit of a clash there in our culture. But back then there was not. In fact, you were made to pray in public. And the more you prayed in public, the holier you were and the more status you had in that culture. And so what Jesus is saying is don't do it out there. Start in your closet. Start in your room. If you want to work on your prayer life, Do so when no one is watching and pray authentically to God. He goes on and says, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I was raised in a tradition where reciting a prayer was the way we prayed. We prayed the Our Father, we prayed the Hail Mary, and we had a little angel prayer. And I love the angel prayer because that was the one that was most personal to me. I had my own little garden angel, so the prayer said, and he watched over me. Well, and we now know that that's the Lord. He watches over all of us. And yes, there are angels, but that's another sermon for another day. He watches over all of us. And with Jesus, as he models here in these next verses that are gonna be very familiar to you, it's the Our Father He gives us a model of how to pray. And he says, don't just recite these prayers. Pray them from your heart. So in Spanish, we're in Spanish class now. There's two words for prayer. There's rezar. Everyone say rezar. Hey, I heard a couple of rolling R's. And then the other one is orar. A little easier. Mom and dad, you win. So rezar is reciting these prayers. So our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, that can come that will be done. And then Hail Mary's, I, man, I knocked those out when I was praying the rosary. And then you keep on going 10 times, baby. Um, so, I, I mean, I was good at, at, at rezar, but orar, praying from the heart, saying, Lord, you are holy. Lord, I, I need you in my life. That's a, that, that's a skill that only grows the more you practice it and the more you do it 
behind closed doors. So we're going to read that in a, in a moment, but I was reflecting on this and I was thinking about my life. Um, I grew up playing the piano. And so when we had guests come over, my dad would have me play for people. And, you know, I would always get a little nervous, but I kind of played piano man through and everyone clapped and I received my reward in full because I did it publicly. And, and then I got older and they asked me my senior year to my junior year, my freshman year, I'm sorry, my sophomore year. It was my sophomore year. Yeah, they asked me to play the, 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 the processional during the graduation for the seniors. I was a sophomore, so, you know, two years older, a lot of, lot of pressure. Y'all, I was so nervous about making a mistake that I had it memorized, but I brought the sheet music just in case, and I was mid-song, and a gust of wind blew through the place, and the pages fell on my hands, and I had it memorized, but then I like inverted some chord, and it sounded weird, and I freaked out, and I froze, I mean froze, and I stopped playing. 15 minutes, according to my time. It was probably more like five. Processional in silence, and people were just like staring at me like, are you going to play? No, I'm not going to play. I was freaked out. I was so concerned with what others, I was so concerned with this horizontal approval of man. Later on in college, even in a small group setting, in a community group, I, I knew I wanted to share. I wanted others to, to hear you know, my thoughts or whatever, but I was so afraid that I would either offend somebody or get that thing wrong. I didn't want to be wrong. And I'll never forget my sophomore year in college doing a communications project. I had to give a speech and I couldn't even talk because of this knot in my throat. And I was, anyway, and so now I'm like, wow, God, Praise God, because I'm standing before you, not because of any skill that I have, but just because of the strength that we get when we do things in the secret place. There's no more secure place than being with your heavenly Father who created you and me. And when we do that, we get, a valid, we get validation, we get security, we get value that we can't get anywhere else on this planet. So Jesus is saying, do that in the secret place when no one is watching. So this next prayer is the Our Father, and I want to read it. it. starts in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. So Jesus is giving us the model. He says, Our Father who in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive, oh, I'm going to stop right there. And then we'll talk about verse 14 because that's fun. So this part is what a lot of us have memorized. And we've probably prayed it many different times and, and ways. What I want to encourage us to do is to orar, to pray it from in here, personally, just you. If you want to do it out loud, do it out loud. In fact, I encourage a few of you to do it out loud so it's not totally awkward. And then the rest of you, you can just do it silently. But let's focus. Let's look up and focus on our vertical relationship with God for just a moment and pray to God because I love how it starts our Father. He's not, you know, Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He is those things, but we're addressing our Father who knows us. Abba, Father who is close and who is near. And then we express our need for him. So we're going to start in verse 9. It'll be on the screen. And I'd love for us to just pray it again, if you're comfortable out loud, if not silently. But let's connect with 
Our Father. Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Three ways how to practice praying, and then we'll move on to verse 14. The first is daily. Jesus went away. In Mark chapter one, at the beginning of the gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus, before daybreak, so while it was still dark, now it's a little later because daylight savings, so there you go. Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. So let's do that daily, and let's do that first thing. Second is unceasingly. If you have the Bible app, it's actually the verse of the day, 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 17, pray without ceasing. So pray throughout the day. Talk to God. Establish that safe place where it's just you and your Father in heaven. And the third one is pray fervently. Express your thanks to him when times are good and when times are not that good. And also express your needs when you're desperate. There's no one that knows your situation better than your heavenly Father. And so in verse 14, we read, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And I know what you're thinking. I was thinking the same thing. Where's for your... Uh, um, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, right? That's another gospel. But in this gospel, we have this. And it's such an important truth that Jesus just hits us with because when we are in Christ, we have been freely given grace. We did not deserve it. We were given it for free. So what Jesus is saying is you cannot receive something for free and then stop it from flowing towards others. It's like a shutoff valve in a water pipe. I know a lot of you guys were running to find the shutoff valve a few weeks ago during the freeze to stop your whole house from flooding. So you can't shut off God's grace from flowing into your relationships with others. That's simply what it's saying here. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, yeah, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. We forgive because he first forgave us. We love because he first loved us. Okay, I can stay there for another five days, but we're gonna move on. Fasting, I know you're dying to talk about fasting. A little intense. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So Jesus is teaching us how to fast in that secret place. Now, fasting is not very cultural as it was then in a spiritual way, but we're actually becoming more accustomed to fasting. So there's a lot of cleansing fasts and nutritional fasts, and those, I'll leave that up to you, whether you think those are good or not good, but that's not what he's talking about, because those fasts are me-centered. This fast is 
Jesus-centered. And another great disciplined book is by Richard Foster. It's called The Celebration of Discipline. And he defines fasting as this, the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. I'll read it one more time. The voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. So we fast to abstain from something normal so that God replaces that with his presence so that we can hear more clearly. We can fast for a lot of different reasons. If you need direction in your life in this season, if you don't know what next week or next month, then fasting is an incredible discipline that tunes us in to God. Why? Because we lack something. And so instead of depending on food, instead of depending on some sort of content or source, we are plugged into the ultimate source. Jesus said, for man does not live by bread alone. And so we are able to plug in to the source. We can fast to seek deliverance or protection from a sin issue. We can fast to minister to the needs of others or to humble ourselves before God. Fasting from food is really what Jesus is speaking to, but I think we can fast in other ways as well. We talked about social media. You can fast from social media. Anybody do Lent? You know, that's whenever growing up, we would always fast for the things that we should probably be fasting from anyway. Let's take it up a notch. You know, I am fasting from cussing this year. Well, fasting from, you know, candy or dessert. You know, let's take it up a notch and maybe abstain from something that's a little bit more normal, part of your normal routine. Three ways of how we can practice fasting. The first one is specifically. So identify why you are fasting. What's the purpose of this fast? Again, nutritional fasts are, well, my health. Good. Our health is very important, but a spiritual fast is different. We are fasting for a specific reason, to seek guidance. We're fasting for the sake of another person. We're fasting to increase our dependency on God. The second is deliberately. And so when you figure that out, be deliberate and say, okay, I'm going to fast for five days. I'm going to fast for three days. I'm going to fast for one day. I'm going to fast for this amount of time. Some people don't do that. Some people say, I'm going to fast until God uh, tells me otherwise. I'm not one of those. I like to be deliberate with my fast and say, this is how long I am fasting from because it allows me to do this third thing. It allows me to tackle the fast aggressively. Now, I thought about other words, but there's really no other better word than aggressive when you are fasting because it's not fun. <laughs> when you take something that you need away from your normal routine, things get rough. I get grumpy. <laughs> and so then I have to be aggressive, going to that secret place, putting oil on my head so that I am not grumpy towards others. Like, oh, I've been fasting for seven days and still the Lord has not answered me or, or whatever. No, that's not the point. The point is for us to fast so that he sees our devotion to him. And by the way, this isn't about religion. This isn't about who fasts the longest or who fasts from what. This is about enhancing our relationship to God, our vertical relationship with him. That's why it's so important to do this 
privately. I do tell my wife when I'm fasting from food, that way she knows not to cook for me, and that's a big portion out of our grocery bill. So there you go. There We can give more, and then it helps our prayer life as well. So it's all tied in together. The, verse 19 says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love that this passage follows these three spiritual disciplines, talking about growing our relationship with God as, as we spent time with him in our secret place. Normally, I've heard this verse when, when talking about giving, and it's definitely applicable. But when you work, when I work in my secret place with the Lord, in my relationship with the Lord, I'm investing in heaven. And no one and nothing can touch that, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what arrows may be coming my way. I'm good with the man upstairs, so bring it. Not really, but you know, it's one of those things that, that we can say we can deal with anything because we're storing, we're investing our hearts on things above. Last two verses, the eye is the lamp of the body, verse 22. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Talking about the heart, talking about the eyes. The eyes see the things in this world, and the heart main, uh, contains our motives, our desires, the reason why we do X, Y, or Z. And so Jesus is tying those two things together and said, if you spend time with me, if you give to me in secret, if you pray with, uh, pray with me uh, when no one's watching, and when you fast, when you abstain from something that you need and, and instead depend on me, then you will be full of light. Again, this is not about religion. This is about relationship. Jesus modeled these three things incredibly. Jesus fasted before he even started his ministry for 40 days. He went without water. I'm sorry, without food. He did have water without food and said, man does not bring on held alone. He held fast to God's word. And then he prayed. He prayed from the beginning and then he prayed all the way to the end. Lord, not my will, but your will be done right before he was crucified. And he gave, he gave us three years of ministry here on earth. A lot of amazing examples on how to be truly human, but more so he gave us his life. That is the example that Jesus did for you. I want to close with a story of a man named Elijah in the Old Testament worshiping. You guys can come back up. You guys have been very patient. 23 verses, we did it. Elijah was a holy man. There was probably no, maybe a few others, biblical characters that are as holy or as amazingly close to God as Elijah was. But in 1 Kings 19, Elijah had a problem. This queen was coming after him, the queen of Jezebel. Instead of Elijah holding on to his faith and strength and showing us what it means to be a man of God, you know what he did? He freaked out. He was full of fear. He was totally uh, afraid of what was gonna happen to him. And so we went on a journey to Mount Horeb, same mountain 
that Moses went up all those hundreds of years before and got the commandments, the great commandments for us, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, same mountain. Elijah goes there to meet with God. And so you probably know the story. First, there was this gust of wind and it was, I mean, howling. Anybody uh, know the wind that we had this week? Earlier on Tuesday, I think it was, we were in Enchanted Rock. And Ezra, our little two-year-old, was a, was, a, was a flight risk. The wind was so high. Little guy was like, you know, going with the wind. I'm like, hold on, little buddy, I got you. So, I mean, howling wind, powerful move. But God was not in the wind. And then there was an earthquake. You can imagine the rumble. But God was not in the earthquake. And then there was a big fire. God showed up in fire with Moses. But this time, God was not in the fire. And then came a whisper. That's how God speaks to us in the secret place. It's a whisper. Sometimes we are looking for signs in our life. God, if you're real, show up in life. Show up up there. Give me a sign in the clouds. And he says, I'm right here. Draw near to me and I will come close to you. So James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. God's saying, don't be hypocritical. I'm right here. Allow me into that place. I love you. You are of incredible value to me, says God. And so let's meet him right there.